Welcome to Spread the Word Now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. The Lord Jesus declares, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is my earnest prayer that as you receive the ever-living word, the brokenhearted will be healed, they'll be liberty to the oppressed, recovery of sight to the spiritually blind, in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray that the words you hear will not be persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith will not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Hi, my name's Paul Valley, and I'm senior pastor at Livingstone's Church in Red Deer. One of my favorite cartoon writers is Charles Schultz and his lovable character, Charlie Brown. Schultz was a Christian who often used humor to relay some incredible truths. In one of Charlie Brown's cartoon strips, we find Lucy asking Charlie to help her with her homework, and she says, I will be eternally grateful. Fair enough, said Charlie Brown. I've never had anyone be eternally grateful before. Then he gives her the answer. Just subtract four from 10 to get how many apples the farmer had left. Lucy's response is, that's it? I have to be eternally grateful for that? I was robbed. I can't be eternally grateful for something. That's just way too easy. With his blank stare, Charlie says, well, whatever you think is fair. Well, how about I just say thanks, bro? On his way outside, Charlie meets Linus, who asks, where have you been, Charlie Brown? Well, I've been helping Lucy with her homework. So Linus said, well, did she appreciate it? Charlie answers, yeah, but at a greatly reduced price. Appreciation and gratitude for others reveals something about the person expressing it. Cicero, one of ancient Rome's greatest statesmen, once said, gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of others. What's true about giving gratitude to others, and especially as it relates to our relationship with God, reveals a lot about who we are. I know we've just celebrated Thanksgiving, and what a wonderful opportunity to reflect and give thanks to God for all He's done for us. But there's an even greater expression than Thanksgiving. In the ancient biblical text, we discover the word translated Thanksgiving is actually the idea of praise. Klaus Westermann explains the difference between modern gratitude and biblical praise. He says our word thank, which has no corresponding word in the ancient Hebrew language, but today in the modern language it does, literally came the idea of confessing praise. Yet the difference between these words is pretty significant. This idea of confessing praise is an echo of a specific act of God which has taken place. It's the liberating, rejoicing sigh of relief by a person who's been rescued and now who says, thank God for the rescue. And its basic structure is always, God has acted. Westerman suggests that the concept of thanks as we use it is not a natural one, that praise is more spontaneous and genuine. Praise makes the object the subject of our sentence, whereas in thanks, the speaker is far too often the subject. So praise involves looking away from ourselves while it's a lavish description of that which is spontaneously enjoyed, whereas thanks can be a fixed duty. Praise involves greater appreciation and is often public, whereas thanks can be private or silent. Praise then is encouraging and edifying to others. Martin Tate, another Old Testament scholar, says praise requires concentration on the thing, person, or deity being praised, while thanks tends to be focused on what the speaker has received and thus may become rather narrow and superficial. In the expression of thanksgiving, the self may become the primary subject, but this is very much less likely to happen in praise. 
I want to look at just a psalm briefly, Psalm 66, where we see the psalmist is calling the community of faith to praise God. Their need to publicly express gratitude because of some recent crisis that's been averted or deliverance has been achieved. In Psalm 66, we not only hear a collective community of faith rejoicing, but also the prayer of a personal testimony of the individual. And here are three reasons the psalmist gives for us to praise God. The first, is simply God is powerful and awesome in the mighty things he does on our behalf. When we consider all that God has done for us, all we can do is praise him. He's worthy of it, and it flows from a heart of gratitude. The more we know him, the more our hearts will overflow with praise and gratitudes toward him. Here we have an explanation of how we should praise God and gives us reasons why. We're told in verse 1, shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. We certainly know that one writer of the Psalms, David, was a worshiper. And in a memorial moment when he was bringing the Ark of God, which represents his presence, back to the city of Jerusalem, we have an amazing description in 2 Samuel 6.14 of how David was praising God. It says here in 2 Samuel 6.14, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpet. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael's daughter of Saul came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. You know, a couple of things stand out here in this biblical text. Michael is called the daughter of Saul rather than the wife of David. She was obviously her father's daughter. Her heart was unlike her husband in regard to worship. Notice David's response when confronted by his wife regarding his extravagant behavior and his praise and worships toward God. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. It always amazes me how enthusiastic so many of us can become in many different areas of life, but often in a church service, that's a different story. If there was ever a place for us to praise and show our gratitude and celebrate, it's in the presence of the Lord. I'm not necessarily advocating an unrestrained emotionalism, but rather a heartfelt focus and praise towards God in which we are actually connecting with Him. Alan Ross points out in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, believers are commanded to offer unto God the sacrifice of praise. The fact that it's commanded means that it's a binding responsibility, and the fact that it's called a sacrifice means that it's a form of worship, an offering to be given to God. In Israel, believers were duty-bound to praise the Lord, and it always cost them to do so. But praise in the biblical sense of the terms has fallen on hard times. Too often, it's ignored completely, both 
in the assembly, and in the daily life of a believer, simply being replaced by music. And frequently, it degenerates into a forced duty or a boasting in which the self is exalted. Most true believers would say that they're genuinely thankful for all that the Lord has done for them. But genuine individual praise in the congregation oftentimes is negated. In this psalm, we're told to shout and sing with joy to the Lord. Why? Because of God's awesome deeds. His power to save is great. We're invited to come and see what the Lord has done for his people. Come and see what God has done, how awesome his deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. Here the psalmist is referring to a great moment of Israel's experience as a nation, as they were delivered from slavery. It's the story of the Exodus. It's the story of God's miraculous provision for causing the Red Sea to open and her enemies destroyed. It's a declaration of God's saving power. Notice how the psalmist celebrates a past historical event hundreds of years later as if it had just happened. This was a defining moment. Without this miracle, there would be no Israel. Every year, the Jewish people celebrate this event in their Passover celebrations. So how does that relate to you and I as a New Testament follower of Christ? Well, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 5-7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. This great historical moment of our new birth, our salvation from the slavery of our sin took place 2,000 years ago on Mount Calvary, where Jesus was crucified. Without the cross and resurrection, we'd still be in our sins. But when we participate in the Lord's table, we're reminding ourselves of that amazing, not just a historical moment, but a personalized present moment with our Lord. We are called to praise and bless the Lord and not to forget his benefits. I quote Klaus Westermann once more because he points out that we're to be in the practice of praising and blessing God and not forgetting. The coordination of bless and forget not expresses a profound truth. Only those who praise do not forget. We can speak about God and still have forgotten him long ago. We may reflect upon the nature of God and still have long forgotten him. Forgetting God and turning away from God always begins when praise has been silenced. The secret of praise is the power it has to make connection with God, though through praise one remains with God. Let me move on to the second reason, the preservation in times of testing. In Psalm 66, verse 8, it says, Praise be our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us, refined at us like silver. You brought us into prison, laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I love what the British preacher Spurgeon wrote, all saints must go to the proving house. God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without trial. Why should we complain if we're subject to the rule which is common to all the family and which so much benefit has flowed to them? David Osborne points out, too often we try to use God to change our circumstance while he's using our circumstances to change us. Every child of God will be disciplined as a loving father disciplines their children. And we're reminded that God's purposes in our trials is for our spiritual development. But let me just move on to the last point here. The final reason giving for praising God is for personal answers to prayer. It's incredible to think that God responds to us in a personal way. It's amazing to realize that God cares for each of us personally. 
This final word of gratitude is not only for the answer to prayer, but for the reality that this answer reflects an unbroken relationship to God. Let's look at the conclusion of this text of Psalm 66. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. Testimony time. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer, withheld his love from me. Think of all the times you've cried out to him and he's answered. Seasons of distress, times of misfortune, moments of reversal. The enemy attacking not only you, but also God's work. But the work keeps progressing. What sustains us in our walk with God is our private, personal cry to God. And yet the psalmist tells us that the only thing that can impede our prayer is if we cherish his sin in our heart. And what does it mean to cherish it here? It's the idea of delighting or gloating in it. Sin is always an impediment in our relationship with God, and God will not allow that kind of arrogance to grow in responding to us. And now he concludes the Psalms by stating that God has neither rejected his prayer or withheld his love. Let us come and praise our Father. Let us worship him with all our being each and every time we gather. Praise moving us from our self-focus towards God in a profound way, changing us. Most of us are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Do you know what made David able to address the giant when his nation's military was trembling in fear because of his taunts and threats? What they saw in the challenge was their own inabilities. What David saw was the giant defying God. David realized that the real conflict was between Goliath and God and that Goliath was no match for God. David saw himself only as God's tool or agent to deal with the problem. While Goliath came against David in his own strength and power, David came against the giant in the name of the Lord, whom he had defied. David was confident that God would destroy him. And when we come and truly praise God and connect with him, we begin to see ourselves and our challenges differently. We see that nothing is too difficult for the Lord. I would encourage you to move beyond thanksgiving to praise and connect with Him, our God, and therefore be transformed. You've been listening to a message from Spread the Word Global Ministries Red Deer. If you'd like more information, you can contact us at info at spreadthewordglobalministries.org or info at spreadthewordnow.org or through our website at www.spreadthewordglobalministries.org. Our phone number is 587-377-7745. Thank you. Bye for now.